Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. Happy Easter slash Final Four Sunday. Oh, we got theme music. <laughs> when did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's some big time stuff. Good evening, happy Easter slash Final Four Sunday, and welcome into Taking You to School, the only college basketball show on the RF Sports Radio Network. Now with awesome theme music, which makes um, us all the more legitimate. Uh, I'm your host Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. That's S U I T E. Sports.com. Uh, you can check us out for all of my tournament projections that didn't come true, uh, and also check out our giant bracket of our favorite man crushes that has been running throughout the month of March. We're down to our finals. You may want to click through and see who are the coolest guys in the world. Uh, alongside me, as always, is the founder of Round Ball Daily, one of the best hoops blogs on the net. He also contributes at Sheridan Hoops and Slam Magazine. His name is Kells Dayton. Uh, Kells, I saw that your grandmother wrote an article about the UConn Lady Huskies. So I guess uh, writing about basketball kind of runs in your blood, huh? Yeah, you know, I can't bring Granny's uh, knowledge of the game, but I bring her passion, Joe. So, you know, that's what you can look forward to here. (laughs) Very good, very good. Uh, And also joining us again this week is my colleague at Sweet Sports. He also contributes to the ESPN True Hoop Network, writing for blogs like Clipper Blog and Hoop Speak, uh, Mr. Jeremy Conlon. Jeremy, I know you've been less than impressed with the hoops this weekend, but you've got to admit, you know, it's been a pretty fun tournament, hasn't it? Depends on your definition of fun. I'll reserve judgments until later. <laughs> all right, Jeremy Conlin, always the uh, bringer of fun. Uh, we'd like to remind all of you listening out there that if at any time you feel the undying urge to speak to myself or one of my distinguished colleagues, the number here to call in is 323-927-927. Two nine zero six. Once again, that's three two three nine two seven two nine zero six. Of course, if you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, the number's right there in front of you. So no excuse not to call in, uh, guys. The final four is now set, and I guess we'll start with the latest team to punch its ticket to Atlanta, the Louisville Cardinals. Uh, they're the only one seed left in the field, and they're the winners of that brutal Midwest region. Uh, they just finished off a route of Duke a little while ago. Uh, Kells, I think most people were pretty sure that Midwest region was going to be a real meat grinder uh, of a road to the Final Four. How impressed are you that the Cardinals made this look pretty easy? Yeah, Joe, it's been amazing so far to see what Louisville has done this year. I mean, even going back to the Big East tournament, the way they just absolutely handled Syracuse in the championship game, uh, haven't lost. I think they've lost one game since uh, February 1st, and that was five overtimes to Notre Dame. So they've been absolutely almost a juggernaut here in the tournament. Uh, in a tournament where we haven't had a real juggernaut and anywhere else, uh, when you look at the other regions, um, really impressive win today over Duke. I was really impressed with the way they just took over the game in the second half. I uh, really thought it was going to be a much closer game, but Louisville just dominated. Peyton Siva and Russ Smith and those guys uh, really took over the game in the backcourt and really uh, controlled the pace of play, which I thought was really surprising. So I think it's going to be really tough in this next matchup for Wichita State. I uh, would have thought that with Ohio State in their uh, regional final game as well. But, man, Louisville looks really good right now. Yeah, most definitely. You mentioned uh, Siva and Smith, and they've kind of, uh, like you mentioned, way back after that five-overtime loss, they've really taken ownership of this team. And, uh, you know, the Cardinal are, again, that five-overtime loss from almost winning 20 in a row. They're just a red hot right now. Uh, Jeremy, you know, only one team has stayed within 10 points of them this tournament. Uh have they been the most impressive team in the field so far? Maybe even more impressive than some of these Cinderellas? I would say so. Um, just because of the dominant they've been. Like, you know, Wichita State's played some close games. Um, you know, Michigan, obviously, they beat Kansas, but it was a struggle. They had to come back late. Um, whereas Louisville's basically, you know, run roughshod over everybody they played. I, I thought Duke was going to give them a, a better run just because they had, you know, because of the game earlier in the season. Um, and you know, Duke has played so well when when Kelly has played. I think they're coming into the game. They were twenty and one with Kelly. 
Yeah. So um, I figured it would be a closer game. It would go down to the wire or whatever. But um, Louisville just looked – their athleticism was just too much for Duke. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Kels, I'll go back to you. It's you know it's pretty clear after that great Big East tournament run they had that that dominating second half against Syracuse, they've rolled through the NCAA's. I mean, Louisville's the hottest team going right now. You add in the fact they're the only one seed left in the field, and I got to ask it, Rick Pitino's bunch: How prohibitive of a favorite are they heading into Atlanta next week? Well, I think they're going to be a big prohibitive, Joe. And uh, I think it's really, you look at 96 Kentucky, the last time Patino won a championship, I think this team kind of has that feel. Uh, it's Obviously, this team's not as good as that team was, but you look at some of the guys like Gorgie Dang, uh, the center who's really just become a major force inside for them. He had uh, 14 and 11 again today, and he was a really big factor for them, especially inside against uh, Mason Plumlee. And Wichita State really doesn't have anybody to, to defend him inside, so he's going to cause major problems. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at the two teams, Louisville and Michigan, I think Michigan's the only other team in this tournament right now that you could say is playing maybe even on the same level as Louisville is right now because of the way they finished against Kansas, because of the way they completely decimated VCU. So uh, I think Louisville clearly is on a different level right now. You never know in the Final Four, you know, pressure can always catch up with them. Uh, different matchups. I know uh, Wichita State, obviously, the defensive team likes to slow it down, kind of grind you out. Uh, but right now, I mean, it's going to be really hard to see Louisville losing. They're going to have to have an off night. No one is going to be able to play their best and beat them if Louisville's on their game. Louisville's going to have to beat themselves, I think. Yeah, and you mentioned Dang. He's another guy that's kind of been shooting up people's draft boards. He's, he was a little inconsistent throughout the year, but obviously the size – the strength, everything's there. I saw him projected as a second-round pick before the tournament. Uh, I'd be curious after his uh, domination of Plumlee to see where they have him going now. Uh, of course, a lot of people kind of boost their stock against the Plumleys, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jeremy, you also added the fact that the Cardinals, they get to face a non-traditional power, a mid-major team like Wichita State. Uh, do you think we can reasonably expect anybody else to win it all at this point? Uh, I think Louisville definitely has to be considered the favorite. Um, they were the number one overall seed coming into the tournament. Obviously, um, they're the you know on paper they're the best team remaining. But I think they're the two things that could catch up with them. One, um, they've had the advantage athletically in all of their matchups so far, and I've, they're still going to have that against Wichita State. But in the final against either Michigan or Syracuse, those are teams that sort of can sort of match that athleticism across the board. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one thing that they could. Um, they could struggle with if they no longer have that advantage. And the other thing is, um, obviously, they rallied um, tonight after the injury to wear. Um, and yeah. It's a big and emotional, you know, boost for them to sort of play for him. Um, but if they get even like a little bit of a hangover next weekend and, and like they, you know, they start to actually miss his on-court presence, which I think they will. He's one of their better players. Um, mm -hmm. If they if they have trouble adjusting to not having them on the floor and, and, and trying to do different things, um, you know, it, I don't think I think they're going to make it to the final just because I think they're better than Wichita State is across the board. Um, but in the final against either Michigan or Syracuse, when you know the athleticism sort of starts to match up, and mm -hmm. without having where they start to. Um, you know, be forced into do like playing left-handed, like the, the old the old adage of, you know, not being able to go to their strengths. Okay, fair enough. And you know, we're talking about Wichita State, like they're chopped liver, but the Shockers have, you know, you can't come up with another phrase. They've shot everybody. They've joined the long list of uh, recent mid-majors to the Final Four, teams like Butler, Virginia Commonwealth, uh, George Mason. So, but uh, perhaps what's so shocking about Wichita State is they've they've done it in a bunch of different ways. They've gone through several different kinds of teams, if you will. Uh, they knocked off a, a mid-level Big East team in Pittsburgh. They beat the one seed in Gonzaga. They knocked off that other Cinderella story, LaSalle, and ended their season. And then they knocked off Ohio State, a two seed from the supposed best conference in the country from the Big Ten. Uh, Kel, I'll go to you talking about Wichita State. Just who are these guys, and how the heck did they get here? Yeah, Joe, it's so strange, too, with Wichita State because you look at uh, the fact that how talented they are. This might not even be their best team in the past three years that they've had. I saw uh, Reese Davis earlier on ESPN was uh, interviewing uh, Greg Marshall, their head coach, and he was saying, you know, they've had better talent in years past, especially offensively. This team doesn't score a lot of points. They're not a great three-point shooting team. 
even though they did hit some shots, obviously, against Gonzaga and late against Ohio State. Uh, but this team may be better defensively than the past installments, but it's just such a strange feeling when you've seen teams like VCU. Obviously, they made such a great run, played so far above their head, so far over their level that they had played at during the regular season. But this Wichita State team is just playing basically, you know, decent basketball. They're playing uh, up to their standards, up to their ceiling, and they're still in the Final Four. So I think it just shows you the parity in college basketball. I think it shows you anybody can win this year. And if you played this tournament like 20 times, I think, you know, we'd have 20 different Final Fours. I don't think all four of these teams probably would make it, you know, each time, mm-hmm. except for you could argue Louisville. So uh, it really is just unbelievable to see them reach this point and they really haven't been overwhelmed so far, you know, athletically. Against Ohio State, they're pretty much a similar team. Obviously, Gonzaga, uh, LaSalle. So I think, you know, it's such an interesting interesting thing to see them get this far, and it's really not even that big of a shock, you know, even uh, no pun intended. Yeah, you can't really talk about them without saying shock. It's it's right in the front of your mind. We've seen, uh, obviously, their uh, their cheerleaders do the, some obscene gestures involving uh, the word, but – that's neither here nor there. They're a pretty balanced team scoring-wise. They don't have any one guy that can blow you away. You look at uh, Clay Anthony early one night is taking over, and other nights it's Malcolm Armstead. Uh, but they don't have anybody that's going to score 20 on you. They have a bunch of different guys that are going to score between 10 and 15. And then, like you said, they lock you down defensively. Uh, Jeremy, I'll go to you. When a team like Wichita State makes the finals, you know, this isn't a butler with a couple future you know, borderline NBA guys. This isn't Virginia Commonwealth that's running and gunning with a great athletic team. What does this really say about the field this year as a whole, that a team like Wichita State can slow the game down, not have a dominant player, and they've still got to the Final Four, and, and you know, we're still talking about them maybe giving Louisville some problems? Um, well, we knew they could defend coming in. They were among the, the nation's leaders in, you know, most defensive metrics. Um, the thing that sort of jumps out is that uh, in the win against Gonzaga, they were 14 of 28 from three. And then uh, against Ohio State, I think they were eight for 20. Uh, and they're not like a, a super spectacular three-point shooting team. They're, you know, um, you know they're, they're a, a good offensive team, not a great offensive team. But in those two games, the ones that you would, quote, like expect them to lose, um, they just mm-hmm. shot the lights out from three. Uh, and if you shoot yeah. that high, 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 high percentage from three, um, you're going to be able to hang with anybody, and then their defense can carry them the rest of the way. So if they have another super hot shooting night against Louisville, you know they could pull another upset. Um, but you just, you know, at some point you have to expect that, um, you know, law of averages says that we're going to have either an average or poor uh, shooting night from three, and that will catch up with them. So you say they're going to regress to the mean. It's more likely that there'll be a 34 percent three-point shooting team, then they shoot 50% again. So, Fair enough, fair enough. And obviously Wichita State has been the, uh, made the deepest run of all the Cinderella's, but there have been some low seeds that have made uh, pretty good runs in this tournament. LaSalle and Oregon get into the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. Uh, and then there's my personal favorite, you know, the other big one, Dunk City, the Florida Gulf Coast Eagles, stormed into the Sweet 16. They beat the two-seed Georgetown, who I – pounded my chest and called my national champion here two weeks ago. Uh, they beat Georgetown. They beat San Diego State. Uh, and they, they were winning games in, in a way we're not used to seeing underdogs win games in the tournament. You know, they weren't slapping the floor and playing scrappy defense and raining improbable threes. You know, they were outrunning people and throwing down flashy dunks and alley-oops uh, and, and things of that nature. So, Jeremy, back to you. Uh, even though Wichita State's made the Final Four, you know, we've seen – Mid good mid majors make the final four before, but we haven't seen a 15 seed make the Sweet 16. Which is the better story? Is it Wichita State making it to the final four, or is this commuter school in Fort Myers making the Sweet 16 that's only been playing Division One athletics for a couple of years? Um, if you're going just by the story, um, actually, I, I would say regardless of what the story is, I think uh, Florida Gulf Coast was more fun um, mm-hmm. because, like you said, it's not the traditional rubric for you know pulling upsets it's usually slow the pace down play good defense get lucky making a high number of threes that sort of stuff whereas um they sort of went to the opposite end of the spectrum and just decided we're going to make the game as chaotic as possible um we're going to you know press full court we're going to get in the court we're going to try to create uh, a lot of points in transition 
um, and not caring if, um, you know, against Georgetown, that really helped them because Georgetown wanted to play slow and they really didn't let them play slow. Um, they, they forced them to play their style and they imposed their will that way. Um, and that, that was really the difference is that they forced Georgetown to play a style that they couldn't play. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the Florida game, they're like the talent level, um, obviously caught up with them. Um, but just the, the excitement that they brought, um, to the games, whereas, you know, with Wichita State, it's, you know, it, they're up, so they're exciting, but the brand of basketball they're playing isn't that great just because they, they want to slow the pace down and, you know, play defense. Um, but Gulf Coast, um, they did all that stuff, but on top of that, they were playing exciting basketball. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I, I don't think you could uh, talk to anybody that watched Florida Gulf Coast play in this tournament, and uh, any of them will come away saying anything but great, great things. And uh, Sherwood Brown, their uh, their senior guard, kind of almost became the face of this tournament for a uh, a brief period and not only were they winning they were doing all these interviews and throwing parties and they were on every tv show they were kind of uh living it up and having fun with it and you know we've talked about you know the the rubric for an upset most you know guys pull the upset they're really excited on the court and then they're like you know we believed in ourselves you know we uh nobody gave us a shot but we believed in ourselves and we knew if we did our jobs but florida gulf coast was the opposite they were like how did we do this? Ah, and then they had a big party, and then they did it again. It was uh, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, Kells, I know you, everyone loves a great underdog, especially you, uh, but let, let's give Wichita State some credit. They're in the Final Four. Still, which of these two runs, not from a fun perspective, which of these two runs was more improbable? You know, Joe, I still think it's Florida Gulf Coast that's more improbable just because of the fact that, you know, this school opened in 1997. I mean, uh, like Justin Bieber was like, is older than the school. Like, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable what they've been able to do. And uh, just, I understand, like, obviously the whole Dunk City thing, and it's such a great story when you look at the fact that, like, these guys looked like they were playing in an all-star game. It wasn't like the NCAA tournament. They never, the pressure never got to them. Uh, they were so athletic. It's like, where did these guys come from? It's almost like they came from a different planet. Um, and especially because even at the beginning of the year, I thought it was amazing. I saw a uh, someone tweeted out that there was a flyer um, with Florida Gulf Coast holding open tryouts before the season, basically for people on the team, for people at the school uh, to come and walk onto the team. Um, so I think you know Florida Gulf Coast run probably a little more uh, improbable because Wichita State, I think, obviously was a respected mid-major, a team that you know no one would have been shocked if they made the Sweet 16. I think them winning those next two games a little bit improbable, but uh, with VCU and Butler having done it before, I think probably not as amazing and incredible as the Florida Gulf Coast run was. And I think in 20 years, uh, this is going to be still the tournament that Florida Gulf Coast made the Sweet 16. Uh, people might forget a little bit about what happened to Wichita State, which is a little bit sad, but at the same time, I think Florida Gulf Coast earned that. Yeah, most definitely. And the, the other funny thing, if you've seen the video, uh, SB Nation's been doing these videos about Cinderella stories and a really, really good one about Florida Gulf Coast, if you, if you guys ever get a chance to Google it. And it's, uh, I mean, Florida Gulf Coast, uh, I'm a South Florida guy. It's a, it's a commuter school out in western, uh, western South Florida in Fort Myers. And most of the people that go to the games are, you know, it's a retirement community. So these old timers <laughs> that are all talking about Dunk City and, the, you know, there's a few students on there that have clearly never gone to a game. They're talking about if they beat the Gators, they'll be the most popular team in the state, not understanding that you know, them beating the Gators won't suddenly give them millions of alumni and whatnot. But uh, it's a very, very cute video. And these guys, like you said, where did they come from? One of them actually played for my high school. I didn't even know that until the tournament. I was like, whoa, Marcus plays there. It was weird. One kid played for Worcester Academy, covered his team last year, didn't even know he played for Florida Gulf Coast. So uh, whenever a big run like this happens, you always wonder, wow, like how did these kids not even get an offer to like Florida International or Florida Atlantic, you know, like, but uh, it's uh, it's a, the beauty how, of the tournament. How, These teams rise. How, how shocking was it for you, Joe, being a South Florida guy, seeing them make that run? You, you know, I, I borderline mocked them before the tournament. I feel bad now because everyone was like, oh, well, you know, because they, they did beat Miami earlier this year. Everyone was like, oh, you know, Florida Gulf Coast, they beat Miami. They got a good win. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, Miami was a totally different team at the beginning of the season. That's not really fair to say. You know, but we, I mean, it was a totally uninformed opinion. I hadn't watched Florida Gulf Coast all year. And I have a couple of buddies that went there and, 
they I don't even know if they knew what the mascot was. I don't even know if they knew they were the Eagles. So there wasn't much school pride. You know, the oldest alumni from the school are like in their late thirties now. <laughs> so it's not like they've got any boosters or anything like that. But uh you know, watching this unfold in that first eight minutes against Florida, against the Gators, when they jumped out to what, like a fifteen point lead and you were just thinking, Oh my God, is this actually gonna happen? Is Florida Gulf Coast kind of thought of as like the 15th school in the state of Florida, are they going to beat the Gators? <laughs> it was – my fiancé is a Gator alum. It was very nerve-wracking. <laughs> but, uh, again, a, a lot of fun to watch. Great, great underdog story. Uh, and like you said, certainly something we won't forget for a long, long time. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk the East Regional, where uh, Red Hot Syracuse busted more than a few brackets uh, with their – dominating win over Big Ten champion Indiana. Uh, we'll get to the Big Ten in a little bit, but uh, first let's talk about the Orange. They frustrated IU's Cody Zeller, Victor Oladipo, and all their outside shooters, guys like Watford and Hulls, uh, with their trademark 2-3 zone. You know, Indiana knew it was coming, and they just couldn't bust it. Jeremy, I'll go to you. I know we've talked about uh, Indiana's ineffectiveness against this zone. Uh, how surprised were you? that one of the best and highest-scoring teams in college basketball just couldn't figure this thing out? Uh, I'm both uh, genuinely surprised and not surprised at all. Um, I'm I'm very surprised just in the sense that it's surprising to see a very good offensive team be flummoxed by a very basic zone. But on the other hand, that's not surprising just because college basketball coaching is so inept that, you know, <laughs> these guys, they're recruiters. They're not really coaches. Like, Krzyzewski's a real coach, whereas yeah. John Calipari, just, he just assembles talent and rolls the ball out. Well, like, most coaches are closer to Calipari than they are to Krzyzewski. Um And, like, it, it, it really, really blew my mind that with four days of preparation, they couldn't figure out that Cody Zeller needs to be in the high post and get him the ball in the yeah. middle of the floor. Like that just never occurred to them. And I, like it occurred to me within the first five minutes of watching the game and they couldn't figure that out. Like I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> like if you, if you like a, a legitimate X is an O's coach, if you give him a half an hour to prepare for a two, three zone, he can figure it out pretty well. Like you have to give Syracuse credit because they're, the, the zone works for them because they have that they have a lot of length they have a lot of athletes but um, you know they, Indiana shooters couldn't find space which that's, that's supposed to be how you're that's supposed to be how you beat the zone is just shoot over it they couldn't find space for whatever reason they couldn't get the ball to Zeller in spots that he could break down the zone uh, it, it was a failure of coaching um, and I, I mean the the Marquette game was even more of an affront to basketball. Um, like it's it, they, they people that really prefer college basketball to pros. Like the the only argument that you have is it's the sentimental, you know, it's part of a community based, you know, university academia setting. Like the the actual brand of basketball is nowhere close, and the, the Marquette <laughs> game really showed that when they shot twelve for fifty three. Um, you know, an NBA team shooting half court shots all game could probably be better than twelve for fifty three. So. <laughs> All right, all right. I want to answer that a little bit. Obviously, the level of play isn't going to be as high. I mean, they're not professionals, and there's a lot more teams. There's obviously going to be a slightly close. But but do you think the level of play in college football is even close to the NFL? I think the the gap is narrower in football. Maybe I mean maybe a little bit. I'm not going to debate which one is narrower and whatnot. But you know, I think other than the. nostalgia and all that stuff. There is a great appeal to college basketball. I mean, first of all, the fact that a team plays a 2-3 zone as a trademark is one thing. There's different styles, totally different coaching techniques. There's teams that almost, like NBA teams with free agency, will change with their personnel. I feel like college basketball teams that have longtime coaches have, you know, their stick, their thing they stick with, the thing they recruit to. So you kind of have, like, personalities that develop and everything. I don't know. I mean, call me crazy. I like college basketball. That's why I'm hosting a college basketball show. Uh, Kels, I'll go over to you. Uh, how surprised were you that Indiana wasn't able to put anything up on this zone? 
And, and how surprised were you that Marquette, who was playing pretty well, couldn't do it either? And that, that Syracuse, you know, this is a team we wrote their obituary a couple weeks ago on this show, that they've been able to turn things around since they went to Madison Square Garden for the Big East Tournament. Yeah, it's amazing what Syracuse has been able to do. Um, and I think, you know, with their length and athleticism in this zone uh, was really the, the main reason why they were able to do what they did defensively against uh, Indiana and Marquette. And uh, to Jeremy's point, you know, I think the level of, college, the level of play in college basketball has, has uh, gone down a lot in recent years. I think in the past, you know, even 2008, 2009, you saw some of those Final Fours with uh, 2008. We had all one seeds. It was a great Final Four, great talent in college basketball with Kevin Love. Uh, that Kansas team was terrific, had five pros on it. Uh, you look at, you know, there were some great teams, even the Florida team with uh, Corey Brewer yeah. and uh, Joe Kim Noah. And then I think right now the level of play, for whatever reason, uh, is a little bit down. So I think, you know, it's cyclical. It'll get back to the point where it'll be close, like you said, with uh, college football and the NFL. The gap will be a little bit more narrow. Um, but going back to Syracuse, you know, I think it's really amazing, and I think it's really coaching. I think that's really all you can say about it because for Jim Beheim, the experience he has in this tournament, being able to get his players up at the right time, and they came together in the Big East tournament. Uh, you saw James Sutherland come come alive and uh, be able to make all those threes, the Big East tournament record. He's played really well in the NCAA tournament. And I think the one guy who's really stepped his game up incredibly has been uh, Michael Carter-Williams, and he's taken this team yeah. to a whole new level. He's been able to really play up to his potential in this tournament, and really uh, now he looks like he could be an NBA draft coming out of this season. I, I think uh, on the show a couple weeks back we had talked about the fact that he definitely needed to come back. still think he should come back, but I think he's played so well in this tournament that he's made a case, a case for himself, and uh, I think that's the main reason why Syracuse has gotten to this point. Yeah, no doubt about it. Mike, Michael Carter-Williams has had himself a tournament. Uh, you looked at that Indiana game. Uh, I've got to believe he played himself into some NBA money with that game, and and likely Cody Zeller kind of played himself out of some money in that game. He looked pretty soft. Uh, Jeremy mentioned him them not getting him the ball in the high post and then kicking or, or turning around. They did get it to him a couple times, and he basically was given open free throws, and he kind of just stood there. And he never really asserted himself – uh, Jeremy, I want to go back to you and talk a little, uh, you know, I know we're talking college basketball, but since you brought up the NBA, uh, how, I guess, how much money did Michael Carter-Williams play himself into? And uh, did Cody Zeller, with kind of a soft performance, kind of reaffirming what a lot of people thought about him, did he play himself out of any money and out of draft position? Uh, Carter-Williams definitely played himself into a lot of money. Um, I think um, we could have three point guards in the top ten. Uh, in the draft, I think Marcus Smart's a guaranteed top three or four pick, depending on the order. Um, and Trey Burke likely played himself into the top ten. He's been really good. Um, yeah. Carter Williams um, is probably projected to be a lottery pick uh, if he declares. Like he, prior to the tournament, I mean, he, he probably would have been like a twelve to sixteen range. Um, mm-hmm. But I think uh, just how well he's played and his jump shots look better. Um, he had a, a really rough jump shot this season, um, but he was he was three for six from three in that Indiana game, um, and made a couple long twos. Um, so I mean, obviously one game isn't much to go on, but uh, his form looked better from what I saw, uh, and he he just looked in control. A lot of times his athletic mm-hmm. gets out of control, um, but he he was he was pretty poised, um, which I think is good. Uh, so if he declares, which um, Based on how he's playing, his his stock has gone way up. So I think he will. Um, he will probably be a top ten pick. And for Zeller, um, I don't think his uh, poor performance was that uh, damaging. Just because I think all those um, all those negatives were already out there. Um, yeah. So you know, people weren't really projecting him to be a top three or four pick anymore, like they were you know this time last season. Um, so, I mean, he was sort of projected to be the back end of the lottery anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I think, I mean, I think it, it cemented the negatives and cemented his downside, which is, mm-hmm. you know, probably in that 10 to 13 back end of the lottery range. Uh, but I don't think he was going to go much higher than that anyway. So, Okay, fair enough. And the other thing I really liked about uh, Carter Williams, like you said, he looked in control, but especially in transition. He, you know, he didn't force anything. He wasn't afraid to pull the ball out. He made some really nice passes, and, man, 
in that two three zone we keep talking about, he is so disruptive. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he's playing man to man against the point at the next level. That'll be really interesting to see because, as you said, he's a little bit bigger and maybe not quite as quick as uh, some of the elite point guards in the NBA. But it'll be, you know, again, when you're six six with uh, what's his wingspan, like six eight or something like that, you can make up for a little bit of a lack of quickness. Uh, I want to go back to that coaching point you made. We talk about guys like Coach K being a real coach and. Calipari being a recruiter that rolls the ball out. Uh, that's kind of my thought about Tom Crean. I thought his Indiana squad was maybe the most talented in the country. He assembled a great group that all complemented each other really well. But you looked at what they did against a 2-3, and, and I'll give Syracuse a little bit of credit. In their 2-3, they almost played it a little bit more with some 3-2 principles where they took away the wing shooters a little bit, taking away guys like Watford and Hulls who tried to find space on the side. But they were just borderline zero adjustments from Indiana. Maybe the one adjustment they made was taking point guard Kevin Farrell out and just not playing their undersized backcourt, playing a little bit bigger with Sheehy. And I, we've seen we've seen this before with tremendously talented teams that can't get the job done. Do you think is that a? And I'll go to both of you on this. Is this a product of the way we cover recruiting, where recruiting is almost a game in itself, and it's being covered so well? So maybe you you know you want to hire a better recruiter than a better actual in-game coach. Uh, Kelvin, I'll go to you first, kind of with the state of the game, if you will. Uh, is coaching as bad as Jeremy said? And, and if it is, you know, is it because we've created this kind of this AAU where we want to just get the, the super studs into our program? You know, kind of what's happening to college basketball right now? Yeah, I mean, I don't really think coaching is that bad. I mean, I understand Tom Green, obviously, not his best effort against Syracuse, but I think the main reason why we're seeing uh, some of these games and even seeing Wichita State reach the Final Four is because they're an experienced team, and a coach can't yeah. play the game. You know, he can only do so much from the sidelines. There's so many freshmen and sophomores on these major teams, on these Kansases and Dukes and North Carolinas, that it makes it tough for them. And I think, obviously, if you have a senior leader out on the court, you have a senior point guard who's talented enough to play, who's stayed three or four years, uh, in the same system, I think it obviously manifests itself on the court, and I think you see better play. I think you see more adjustments. Uh, it's really tough with freshmen. I mean, even Indiana is such a young team. Uh, Cody Zeller is such a young player. They have a freshman point guard with Yogi Ferrell. Uh, so I think it's it's really tough to say that it's all coaching because obviously I think, you know, recruiting is such a big part of it uh, in getting these guys and being, you know, regular season champions and going through the yeah. regular season as the teams in the top 25. But once you get in that tournament, uh, you're seeing a Wichita State, a senior-laden group. You're seeing teams like that, Butler, from two years ago, make the back-to-back runs to the championship game. So I think that's really the reason why these teams have had so much success and why it's been so difficult and also why the level of play is down. So I think it's it's that. And also I think high school coaching is part of it because I think it's more of an AAU uh, mindset right now. I think uh, guys are trying to do too much one-on-one. I think they're all trying to you know ride, make their stock go up for the NBA instead of playing within the system, playing the game, and trying to win basketball games. So I think there's a lot of different factors, but I think those are the main reasons why we've seen uh, such a huge decline in the level of play in college basketball. Okay. And, uh, Jeremy, I'll get you. I'll let you kind of get the last word because you brought this up. Uh, you mentioned Calipari. He obviously won the national championship last year with a really, really special crop of freshmen uh, at Kentucky. Do you think that's the exception to the rule, or do you think we're going to see stuff like more stuff like that where you get these – almost fab five-like collections of talent that are really young but are just more talented than everybody else? Um, I, I don't think it's going to skew one way or the other. I think um, I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on recruiting than on coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to end up with teams that have um, a lot more talent, but they're, mm-hmm. you're still going to have – those teams are likely going to have poor game coaches. Um, so that's the balance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if you have Kentucky, who had the two picks and the two top picks in the NBA draft, like if you just have so much more talent than everybody else, that's obviously a huge leg up, and you're going to roll through the tournament. Um, but if you, you know, if you have a really good recruiting class, that it's a good recruiting class, but then it turns out they're not translating very well, and on top of that, you're not a very good X's and O's coach. <laughs> you're going to end up like UCLA did where they disappoint through most of the season and then lose in the first round. Like, that's something that's going to happen more than once. Um, 
I mean, I think it's a, it's a little bit disappointing. I actually I agree with Kells on this point. Like, there are players that need to play in the system more than they are. Um, mm. But at the same time, for a lot of these, for a lot of the youth coaches, um, their objective should be to raise the potential of the individual players, not make their team better. And I think that's I, I think it's a it's a problem with the system from the bottom up, um, as opposed to from the top down. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see the next couple of years, just because you're going to have to find that balance between, you know, how much do, how much emphasis do we want to put on recruiting versus someone that can create a system, make up make a game plan, make adjustments within the game plan, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and it's it's always an interesting balance when you're talking about. X's and O's in recruiting, and it almost seems like, unless you're a Mike Krzyzewski, it's, it's kind of hard to recruit if you're a, a hardcore X's and O's guy because you're trying to recruit guys from AAU, wide open style, and you're trying to, they almost feel like you're trying to handcuff them and, and kind of slow them down when uh, really, you know, obviously you're trying to get them into a cohesive system. Uh, I guess we've talked about the state of the game for long enough, so let's move on uh, to talk about today's other game with uh, Michigan, the lone Big Ten team left in the field. Uh, they just kind of busted out a whooping on the Florida Gators. Uh, Kells, I'll go to you. Uh, I kind of was talking a little bit smack about the Wolverines before the tournament. I thought they hit a wall because they were playing so many freshmen. Uh, could we have seen this coming? Obviously, Trey Burke's been great, but it's been other guys like Nick Stauskas and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., Glenn Robinson III. Uh, how has Michigan kind of righted the ship uh, and surged into the Final Four like this? Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. At the beginning of the tournament, I thought South Dakota State actually had a great chance to knock off Michigan. Uh, obviously, that didn't work out very well for my bracket, along with many other decisions I made. But uh, if you look at Michigan, they really just turned it on in a way that I don't think anyone could have expected. I mean, for them to play this well, and I think it started with the VCU game. I think uh, South Dakota State, they played a good enough, well enough game to win. But VCU, they just absolutely dominated them. When you talk about their guards, you talk about Trey Burke, the way he handled himself in that game, the fact that really they were the aggressors in that game against VCU and probably because of the fact that they'd heard so so much about VCU's pressure, about their system, that they, they just came out and decided that it wasn't going to happen tonight. So uh, I think this – and then obviously in the second half against Kansas, it was a completely different story uh, from what they were able to do. You look at the uh, center in uh, McGarry. Has just been terrific in this tournament. He was not this good at all during the regular season. Really has <laughs> turned it on almost like an Alex Oriaki from two years ago with UConn in the tournament. But um, they've really, I mean, they've really been, I think it's been Louisville and then Michigan in terms of uh, level of play so far in this tournament. And it's really been amazing to see. And then I think the other thing is Trey Burke has basically put him, put them on his shoulders, uh, almost like uh, Greg Jennings style in Madden here. Uh, he's just been <laughs> terrific in the games. Uh, that shot against Kansas was absolutely amazing, probably the shot of the tournament so far. Uh, to put them in overtime, and obviously they just played on that level since then, and they've just been absolutely unbelievable. And that Michigan-Syracuse game is going to be absolutely fascinating to see what happens because I think it's going to depend on if Michigan can make shots against Syracuse's zone um, and also if uh, Syracuse is able to make the adjustments and slow them down and play the defense that they've been able to play throughout this tournament. So incredible, incredible run by Michigan and something that I couldn't have foreseen uh, at the beginning of this tournament. Yeah, most definitely, and that Trey Burke shot you mentioned, oh, my God, if you're a Michigan fan, how much did you have to be like, no, 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 yes, it was just so far back beyond the arc with a guy in his face, and I tell you, when you're as good as Trey Burke, you can take those and get away with it. Uh, let's talk about the a little bit. We'll get back to Michigan, and we'll talk about their upcoming mega matchup with Syracuse and Atlanta. Uh, let's talk about the Big Ten with IU and Ohio State both losing to lower seeds. Only Michigan's left in the Final Four. Uh, it's always hard to judge a conference off the tournament because it's a one-and-done format. But, uh, Jeremy, I'll go to you. Did we maybe overrate the Big Ten a little bit? Uh, Maybe, but I would lean closer to no, just because, like you said, the one-and-done tournament creates a lot of chaos. Um, But, I mean, if you look at a lot of these games uh, where it was a Big Ten team against another similarly ranked team, uh, like Michigan State killed Memphis, like that wasn't even close. Uh, Michigan yeah. beat up on VCU. Um, Minnesota beat up on UCLA. Um, you know, Indiana didn't look that great. Uh, 
but you know they they got to the Sweet 16, which is um, you know it's something. Um, you yeah. know Illinois beat Colorado. Like I'm just I'm looking through all these Big Ten teams. Ohio State made the Elite Eight. So, um, you know obviously I I expected them to have uh, two probably teams in the Final mm-hmm. Four. You know Michigan, Indiana, Ohio State, Wisconsin. I, you know I thought the odds were pretty good that at least two of those teams would make it. Um, but you know having a team in the Final Four is something that you know most conferences can't say. Um, you know, the Pac-12 didn't get anywhere close to that. You know, Big 12 didn't get anywhere close to that. Um, so, uh, SEC, uh, you know, doesn't have one in the, in the Final Four. So, uh, in terms of the conference as a whole, we may have, but, you know, they still played pretty well overall. Yeah, no, I can't debate that. Uh, Kells, I'll go to you. You're a historically Big East guy. Are you kind of uh, holding your head up high? Although uh, it does look like... Uh, those Big East teams will not be in the Big East anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think you know, as much as you can't go on the tournament for who was the best conference this season, and I think the Big Ten and the Big East clearly were the two best conferences in college basketball this year. I think if you're a Big East fan, you got to be holding your head high a little bit. you got Louisville and Syracuse both in the Final Four. You heard all the talk all year long about how the Big Ten was so great. And I think the real surprising loss, obviously, was the Ohio State loss to Wichita State. Um, but if you're a Big East fan, you got to be really pleased at the way Louisville and Syracuse have performed. Obviously, the two coaches getting them there, and Patino and Bayheim. So I think uh, the Big Ten, you know, and Big East, it's really a toss-up as to which conference is better. I think, you know, you might lean a little bit towards the Big Ten because they did have a lot of teams win games in the tournament mm-hmm. in advance, uh, like Jeremy said. But I think, you know, it wasn't as big a gap as everyone made it out to be. Okay. And I think the one thing the Big Ten had going for it, all year we kind of assumed that Indiana was that one team that was going to be a real national title contender, and they went out a little earlier than people thought. Uh, We've already made a lot of the coaching uh, and whatnot, but uh, we'll move on from that. And uh, let's go and look at our brackets. I know you guys each probably filled out a bracket just like everyone else does. Uh, the final four is set. Uh, I gotta ask you about. Everyone always has like an upset special or, or something fun like that. I know I've I've got mine that obviously didn't work out. What was uh Jeremy? What was your biggest blunder in your bracket? And uh, did you make any really good calls that ended up coming true? Um, I actually have my bracket open right now, and it's just looking at the totality of it is kind of funny. If you look at across just across the top, the Midwest and the South, I did pretty well. Uh, there's a lot mm-hmm. of green. The only uh, early rounds uh, that I missed in the Midwest was Oregon. Um, I didn't have them going to the Sweet 16. I had them losing to St. Louis. And then obviously Florida mm-hmm. Gulf Coast going to the Sweet 16. I didn't have that. But everything else is green. I'm great. Mm-hmm. But when you scroll down, it's just a sea of red across the West <laughs> and the East. Um, I had Wisconsin in the Final Four. They lost in the first round. Um, I had Indiana winning the title. They lost early. Um, I had Miami in the Elite Eight. They lost Um UNLV lost in the first round. Um, so it's just, it, 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 the the disparity between the top half and the bottom half of the bracket where it's basically all green on the top and then basically all red on the bottom. Yeah, this year was a particularly tough one to call. Kells, i, I got to ask you, uh, what was your biggest blunder this year, and uh, did, you, did you have any correct upset specials? Ah, uh, Joe, I didn't have too many correct picks, so when I'm looking at my bracket too, uh, there's there's pretty much a sea of red everywhere. So, um, but uh, I'm looking at it's probably going to be uh, redder than the Game of Thrones tonight with uh, all the blood. Oh yeah, episode. But uh, I think the biggest one that I look back on is uh, St. Louis. I'm just really disappointed in St. Louis's performance. I really thought that they had a little bit more in them. I thought they were going to make a run maybe give Louisville a little bit of trouble in the Sweet 16. I think I even had them beating Louisville in one of my brackets and going on to the Elite Eight. And I uh, might have put them in the Final Four in one of them, actually, too. But uh, I think uh, that was probably the biggest disappointment for me. I really really was high on the Billikens, and it didn't really work out for me. Really? You mean you filled out multiple brackets? How, how unethical of you. <laughs> I'm not a proud man, Joe, but you've got to do what you got to do sometimes. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, three of – I only got one team in the Final Four. I have Louisville winning it all, so they're still alive. But uh, New Mexico is my upset special to make the Final Four, and they, of course, 
lost in the first round. Georgetown was my other Final Four team. They got beat by Florida Gulf Coast. And then I had Indiana, who, of course, lost in the Sweet 16. So not much going for me there. But uh, riding those Louisville Cardinals, they're going to they're gonna make me proud and at least let me get one thing right out of this whole 2013 March Madness section. But like I said, I was in Vegas last week. I did make some money off of the Miami Hurricanes and off of the over in the Florida-Minnesota game. So I got two Florida teams that at least made me some money. But, uh, man, this was, a, this was a rough one to call. You know, that, that West bracket with, uh, where you just you knew somebody was, somebody was going to get a couple upsets and win that bracket. I, I just don't think anybody had much confidence in Gonzaga. And, uh, obviously, you know, I picked New Mexico. Jeremy picked Wisconsin. We all picked the wrong upset. But, uh, <laughs> but, I, but yeah, I think we all had the right idea, right? Like, we had the right idea, Jeremy, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah, our logic was sound. We should get points for Gonzaga <laughs> losing. If we didn't pick the right winner, we at least picked that Gonzaga would lose. So we were right to have zero faith in Gonzaga, so it makes, makes me feel good that we we're at least that smart. Uh, guys, let's move on to our hardcore, nitty-gritty, down-to-the-bare-bones-of-its final four preview uh, and let's take a look at both of these games. We'll start with uh, the one that, on on the face of it, looks less intriguing in uh, Louisville and Wichita State. Uh, Kells, I'll go to you first. Uh, I'll ask you to pick a winner. But first, uh, just kind of what do you expect from this game? And uh, I think you've already made it pretty clear that you think Louisville's going to win. But what do you expect from uh, from these two teams in this uh, first half of the semifinals? Yeah, well, I think it's going to be an interesting game, obviously. I think the only chance Wichita State really has to win the game is to slow it down, uh, maybe get Louisville in foul trouble when you look at a, especially Dang inside and, uh, you know, Bahannon and those guys. Um, Wichita State has really been impressive, you know, playing their style of basketball throughout the whole tournament. Um, and I think they're definitely going to need to do that in the uh, Final Four against Louisville. I think they have no chance if they're running up and down the court and playing a fast break mm-hmm. type of game. Um, so I think really they've got to, you know, pound the ball inside, Clay Anthony Early, Carl Hall. They've got to make some threes. They've got to kind of be out of their minds. I know Jeremy said uh, he doesn't expect that to happen. I don't really either, but I think if they're going to have a chance to win, I think they're going to have to make a bunch of threes. Van Fleet is going to have to make another uh, ridiculous shot like he did against Gonzaga in the uh, second-round mm-hmm. game. And uh, I think the guards for Wichita State is also key because Baker and those guys, they can't be overwhelmed by the moment. Uh, Baker's only a freshman, I believe, a redshirt freshman. Um, you look at the rest of this team, uh, I think in the backcourt, it's uh, very young when you look at uh, Fred Van's lead is also a freshman. Uh, Takeel Cotton's only a sophomore. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the pressure, uh, not just the pressure of Louisville, which is going to be something that's really tough to handle as well, but also the pressure being on that stage in the final four. I think they'll be okay. I think it'll be a close game. But I think in the end, Louisville is going to pull away by, you know, double digits and win, but this game by 10 to 15 points. That's my, that's my uh, you know, prediction for this game. Okay, fair enough. And, you know, Wichita State, we've mentioned that when they hit threes, and obviously they play their trademark defense, they're really tough to beat. I think if you look at a guy like Malcolm Armstead, who I think he took something like 20-some shots in their, uh, in their win over Ohio State. He's kind of their volume scorer, and when he's hitting – Oof, it's tough to cool off the Shockers. Uh, Jeremy, I'll go to you. What do you expect from this semifinal? Um, I would basically echo everything that Kel said. Um, it's it's going to be tough for Wichita State to win unless they can um, make the game more structured than Louisville wants it to be and if they can make a lot of threes. Um, you know, the thing I said with, um, with Louisville earlier is that um, – you know, if if Kevin Ware's injury, um, either mentally or on the court, has some effect on them next weekend, that could be a slip-up for them. Um, mm-hmm. But for the most part, I think Louisville um, is going to be the heavy favorite, at least in this matchup. Um, it would be a shock to see Wichita State win. Oh, those shockers, those shockers. Uh, all right, let's move on to the supposedly more intriguing matchup of Michigan from the Big Ten, Syracuse from the Big East, two teams that going into the tournament looked a little bit sluggish and then caught fire. Both seemed to catch lightning in a bottle. Uh, in Syracuse's case, it was that 2-3 zone became all the more suffocating. Michael Carter-Williams started making better decisions, hitting his outside shots, 
And for Michigan, Trey Burke just put the team on his back, and then freshman Nick Stauskas has been hitting threes out of his mind. Started today against Florida, five for five from downtown. And he was kind of doing that thing. You guys used to play NBA Jam, where you'd run down and you'd take the, he always would say, baseline leaner. And it was that three-pointer from the corner that just always seemed to go in. seemed like Nick Stauskas was doing that against Florida today. It was a little bit unfair. Uh, Jeremy, I'll go to you and let you get first word on this. Uh, I don't really know what to make of this game. I think it's going to be interesting. I think Michigan has some shooters. Syracuse obviously wants to force you to shoot shoot from the outside. Uh, who do you see coming out on top in this one? Um, I would tentatively say Michigan, um, but I think the key player for them is going to be McGarry. Um, uh, you know, Syracuse is going to have the advantage athletic, athletically and with length. Um, but the thing with McGarry is that he's really active. Um, and the yeah. other, like when they beat up on Zeller, Zeller, he's a really passive player at times, um, whereas McGarry could be just a bull in a china shop. Um, and if you, like in the VCU game, he was a 21-14. He was 10 of 11 from the floor. Um, and then against Kansas, he was 12 of 17 from the floor. He gets a lot of good looks around the basket just by outworking people. Um, so yeah. that's a good to offset that that advantage athletically that Syracuse is going to have inside. Um, and like you said, the shooters, um, you know, if they can get hot, um, you know, they're they're a better shooting team than Syracuse has seen at any point in the tournament. Um, so if they can stretch the zone and then all of a sudden there seems for Burke to get to the basket, I think that can, that can be a big problem. Um, and uh, I think Michigan is good enough defensively that, um, you know, they can, they can slow down Syracuse, who isn't a great offensive team. Their strength has always been on the zone uh, on defense, um, or at least for this season it was. So yeah, the Carter-Williams-Burke matchup is going to be interesting just because one's the super quick guy, one's the guy with a lot of size. Um, so just from an aesthetic standpoint, that'll be fun to watch. Um, but I think I think Michigan has the upper hand in the matchup. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Syracuse kind of used that, has used their size and length on the offensive end as well, even in the half court, kind of imposed their will on people. Uh, Kells, you're a Big East guy, but I know you're impressed with Michigan. Who do you see coming out on top in this one? Yeah, I completely agree with Jeremy. I think uh, tentatively I'm going to say Michigan um, just because I really like John Beeline's offense and mm-hmm. against this zone because it really allows for uh, spacing, which is something that Indiana really couldn't figure out and something the teams that have lost earlier in this tournament to Syracuse couldn't figure out. Marquette was terrible offensively spacing uh, the ball, trying to get the ball in the middle of the zone. And uh, Mitch McGarry is going to be the key guy, I think, because if he's going to be able, if he's going to have the ability to get the ball in the middle of that zone and make plays in there, knock down that jump shot, I think that would be huge for Michigan. Uh, I think the fact that they've been shooting the ball well obviously bodes well, and I think also they have the length uh, to match up with Syracuse. When you look at Hardaway Jr., he's six six. Uh, you look at Stauskas, he's six six. He's a big guy. Um, so they've got really the ability to, if things break down. I think they're, you know, they're not going to be overwhelmed by Syracuse's length and size. And I think offensively, uh, Syracuse could have some trouble with Michigan as well. You talk about uh, Syracuse's zone. Michigan likes to play that 1-3-1 a lot, which also gives mm-hmm. teams trouble. And uh, I think that could be something that's also tough to prepare for. And I could see Michigan having a better shooting night than Syracuse ends up having. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think it's going to be a great game, fascinating matchup but I think uh, Michigan probably wins a really close one, if I have to say right now. Yeah, and it's those kinds of matchups that obviously make the tournament uh, so intriguing. Uh, guys, I want to get your kind of your last word before the next time we uh, do a show. I believe we'll, it'll be right after the first, after the semifinals, so we'll be preparing for the national championship game. So I kind of want to get your last thoughts in the pre-final four world we're living in right now. Uh, Jeremy, you're our NBA guru who are some guys in this tournament? We talked about Carter Williams. We talked about Zeller. Uh, but other than those guys, who kind of caught your eye as kind of going up and, and who kind of disappointed uh, in terms of their NBA draft stock? Uh, Trey Burke definitely is shooting up boards. Um, going into the tournament, he was sort of a fringe lottery pick. Now it looks like he's going to be a guaranteed top ten guy. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on workouts and all that stuff, but he was someone that really impressed um, in terms of guys that disappointed, um, you know, obviously Zeller didn't play up to a lot of people's expectations. Um, but other than that, I mean, 
Macklemore was pretty passive in a lot of his, you know, he, he really didn't play that well. Um, Muhammad didn't play that well in his game. Um, there was a lot of guys that, um, you know, I don't think they played themselves out of, um, you know, being drafted very high. Um, mm-hmm. Just because a lot of people knew going in that this was going to be a weak draft and this sort of cemented those those expectations. There was just a lot of guys that, um, you know, didn't perform up to expectations. I don't think it's going to affect them much in the draft, but it was just disappointing to see, you know, Marcus Smart losing in the first round, Ben McLemore not playing well, uh, that sort of stuff. So you don't think Otto Porter losing to Florida Gulf Coast is going to hurt him? No, I think he's going to be a top five pick regardless. I mean, people knew that he wasn't a go-to scorer that could put a team on his back that way. He's sort of a, you know, does everything else kind of guy. Um, so, you know, if, if you know, it's disappointing to see him lose and not play particularly particularly well. Um, but it's not like that was a shock. Yeah, no, no, no. Most definitely. Uh, obviously, Otto Porter, one of the great players in the Big East out of Georgetown. Uh, he, well, not he. He's probably gonna, he's going to the NBA. But Georgetown will remain in the Big East as the Catholic Seven separate. Uh, add Butler, Xavier, and Creighton, and form the new Big East. Because I want to get your thoughts on the final season of the old Big East, the end of the Big East as we know it. Uh, it seems like they're going out with a bang, doesn't it? It sure does. And uh, as a Big East fan, it's almost uh, bittersweet that you see Louisville and Syracuse, two teams that are leaving the Big East, uh, reach the Final Four. I'd much rather see, you know, Georgetown and Villanova if that was even possible, which it wasn't. But uh, those two teams in the Final Four would have been much better as a pure Big East fan. Um, but, you know, obviously they played so well, and I think it's just a testament in the last year that they're all going to be together, that two of them reached the Final Four. Uh, I think Dave Gavitt up in heaven there must be smiling down on what's going on, at least in this tournament. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, especially if we get an all-Big East final. That would really be amazing between uh, Louisville and Syracuse in the last year of the Big East as we know it. And we'll see what happens as uh, those teams move into the ACC. I think they'll still probably dominate that league a little bit more. I think it'll be tougher for the Maryland's and Wake Forests of the world to have success, but we'll see what happens. Obviously, the landscape is changing so much and uh, really going to be interesting as we go forward. But one more year in the Big East, two teams in the Final Four, I think it's pretty fitting. Yeah, man, most definitely. And uh, very, very final word, Jeremy, who is the number one pick in the NBA draft as of right now? Um. Actually, it's it's not a definitive answer just because I think it's going to depend on who gets the number one pick. Well, um, I want a definitive Noel, answer. <laughs> Noel is the most likely just because there's the most teams that want him. But if a team like Orlando that has a bunch of good forwards, if they get the number one pick, they might take Marcus Smart. Fair enough. And Kels, last, last word, who wins the national championship? And how darn good is the ACC going to be when they add all these teams? Yeah, I don't even want to talk about the ACC. I hate the ACC. It's a big East guy, but uh, I think I think when it's all said and done, I think Louisville probably wins it. Um, that Louisville-Michigan matchup, if that does happen, is going to be really interesting. But Louisville just takes its game to a different gear, kind of like Kentucky did last year. Not comparing the team to Kentucky because I think Kentucky was a much more complete team, a much better team. But when Louisville takes its game to its uh, highest possible level. No one else in the country can compete with them. So I think that's probably why they're cutting the nets down. And finally, for the first time since 1986, uh, Louisville will take home the national championship. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, obviously, some historic programs left, Louisville, Michigan, <laughs> and Syracuse, and, of course, Wichita State, the uh, traditional power that they are. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening in to Taking You to School. Uh, for Kells Dayton and Jeremy Conlon, I'm Joe Perello of SweetSports.com. We've had a lot of fun having you here. Catch us again next week on RFSportsRadio.com, and enjoy the Final Four, everyone.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.